watchers in the fourth dimension. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And as a space service commander, there are certain crimes where I can order immediate execution. I hope it doesn't come to that because this episode we're transmatting back to Nerva Beacon where the Revenge of the Cybermen is playing out. But first, Julie's going to take a quick look at the mail. Over to you, Julie. All right. Right now we're just going to focus primarily on feedback for the Ark in Space. Our friend Alan Seiler says, a 10 from Riley? I'll be interested to see how he writes some of the later Baker stories if he's already doling out perfect scores this early in the run. Hey, I held out for a long time. I'm still holding out. And then from Blue Box Charm, probably my favorite episode from Tom Baker's first season. Classic base under siege and shows the chemistry among the series regulars well. I mean, minus Sarah Jane being the damsel in distress, but... I guess we're just going to ignore that, apparently. Anyway, sorry, I have lots of opinions on that. From our friend, Karen James Evans. Ah, the first of the Hinchcliffe-Holmes era, and in contrast to much of the era aping horror films, here we have Alien done three years early. A great production, and Baker is definitely more into the role than in Robot. Some iffy effects and models do spoil, though. 8.5 out of 10. But what? Eight and a half? (laughs) Yeah, Karen usually adds something in there. All right, Karen, you should come back and tell us what that 8.5 out of 10 is out of. Also, if you want to see Alien done even earlier, check out Planet of the Vampires. So good. Yeah. All right. From our friend, Mark Dunstan. What a brilliant story. Episode one with just the main cast was fantastic. Even the bubble wrap was scary. (laughs) I'll I'll go with it was effectively done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good old bubble wrap. All right. Our friend, Dean Carr. When watching this as a very young lad, the scene with Noah's mutating hand stayed with me for a very long time. It freaked me out so much that when people took their hands out of their pockets, I'd go nuts. (laughs) Hey, Anthony, (laughs) looks like you have someone who feels very much the same way as you. Yes. Yes, indeed. Now, from our friend, Beardo Beatnik. Woo, Beardo. Watchers. Hear me, watchers. Uh Uh-oh. This is a 10 out of 10 bubble wrap sleeping bag episode. There it goes. There it is. I know he is only one episode in, but I am sick of Harry by the end. <laughs> I hope every time that Harry gets eaten by the Vern, but no. <laughs> I'm wondering if Beardo might actually just be Julie in disguise. <laughs> the world will never know. <laughs> All right. And then from Chat Grande 67, smashing podcast. I only just realized what a complete pillage of the Quatermass experiment it was. Alien fungus enters spacecraft, absorbs crew, and is persuaded to kill itself. Saw this when it was first on. The giant wasp falling really made me jump. Brilliant cliffhanger. Also, popping paper was really new then and exciting. We were desperate to get (laughs) hold of some. (laughs) Nice. And while it wasn't new to me growing up, it was still something that I always wanted to do when I was a child. So I understand. And then from Paul Arthur, aka Doctor Who 60s, 70s, and 80s. Oh, man, I couldn't have been more wrong about Harry and Julie, could I? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I've always seen Harry as a rather sweet and innocent kind of character and hadn't really picked up on the casual misogyny vibes. Sorry, Julie. <laughs> and again, I don't think it's necessarily misogyny as Anthony so tried to point out that, oh, he calls everyone old and some other things. But maybe classist is the better way to put it than misogynistic. But I'll end my rant here and we might discuss more later. And that is the end of the mail. Thank you, Julie. And as a reminder to our listeners, we really do love hearing all of your feedback, comments, thoughts, and questions. And as you've just heard, we do try to read out as many of them as possible. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D or via email at Watchers4D at gmail.com. We would really love to hear from you, so please do send us a note. Going back to Revenge of the Cybermen and looking behind the scenes, plans for this one started out as early as Season 9 when the show enjoyed high ratings when it brought back the Daleks. Outgoing producer Barry Letts thought that the show could recreate that success for season 12 by bringing back the show's other big monster, the Cybermen, who had not been in the show since back in 1968 with season 6's The Invasion. So how big could they be? Yeah. To bring back the Metal Men, Letts contacted former script editor Jerry Davis, who was commissioned to write a storyline entitled Revenge of the Cybermen. During his prior tenure on the show, Davis had been responsible for co-writing The Tenth Planet and The Highlanders from Season 4 and Tomb of the Cybermen from Season 5. As we've previously mentioned, the plans for Season 12 looked to make the show's budget stretch just that little bit further, and Davis was asked to use the same setting, but in a different time, as another planned serial, Christopher Langley's Space Station, and thus cutting costs by reusing the same sets. Davis's original treatment had the space station acting as a casino, where the Cybermen would be using the Cybermats to spread a plague, intended to be the same one as from Season 4's The Moon Base, only for the Doctor to eradicate them by using the casino's gold supply. <sighs> yeah. In June 1974, incoming script editor Robert Holmes contacted Davis to adjust the storyline and turn it into a full set of scripts. At this stage, it was agreed that the casino setting would be dropped, and that the space station would instead be functioning as a relay beacon. Meanwhile, Langley's scripts came to naught, and Davis's serial, now renamed to Return of the Cybermen, would instead have to act as a sequel to the replacement story, The Ark in Space. Other elements of the script at this juncture included a female scientist called Anitra Berglund, and the Warner character was also scripted as being female. Well, we can't have that, can we? We cannot. Davis's script had the Cybermen having been smuggled onto Nerva by Kelman before the story began, with the aim of destroying a gold-rich asteroid in the station's vicinity. Kelman had also previously betrayed a group of miners, led by a man named Evans, including Jones and Williams. Huh, Welsh miners, who knew? And they had been marooned on the asteroid for around 25 years. The miners eventually killed Kelman by dynamiting a tunnel that he was in, while the Doctor destroyed the Cybermen by reprogramming the Cybermats and filling them with gold dust he retrieved from the asteroid. So you can see some of these elements survived. And even though it had been on Davis's watch that individual episode titles had been phased out, he went ahead and still gave them to each episode. And these were The Beacon in Space, The Plague Carriers, The Gold Miners, and The Battle for Nerva. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During the scripting process, Holmes and incoming producer Philip Hinchcliffe became concerned that the scripts were being pitched at a younger audience than the version of the show that they were making would be targeting. Hinchcliffe also had concerns about Sarah being relatively redundant through the story, and that Harry was dominating part four at the expense <sighs> of the Doctor. 
just, just keep going. So much pain for Julie. <laughs> Davis agreed to undertake rewrites to address these concerns, but this also included the removal of the Berglund character and Warner being switched to male. And during rewrites, the title reverted to The Revenge of the Cybermen. I have a question real quick. How in the world does trying to fix some of the story change someone from a female to a male? I don't have an answer for that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I think maybe because Warner gets killed off so early, they didn't want to fridge a female character. I don't know. That's the closest I can come to explaining it in a charitable way. Okay, keep going. <laughs> By the end of September 1974, it also became clear that more money would actually be available for this serial than expected. Hinchcliffe and Holmes agreed that additional material could take place on the asteroid itself, which could now be filmed on location. It was agreed that Holmes would rewrite Davis's scripts himself, and he replaced the tiny asteroid and its miners with a more substantial spatial body inhabited by its own race of aliens. This meteor asteroid thing would ultimately be named <laughs> Voga, after a mythical island that had been sought out by Christopher Columbus. By the time production began on the story, the serial's title was once again back to Revenge of the Cybermen, dropping the definite article, and Michael E. Bryant was assigned as director. We've previously seen his work on Season 8's Colony in Space, Season 9's The Sea Devils, Season 10's The Green Death, and Season 11's Death to the Daleks. So he was responsible for Don's all-time favourite cliffhanger. <laughs> Joining his creative crew, we have several returning names. Carrie Blyton provides incidental music. He had previously scored Season 7's Doctor Who and Silurians and Season 11's Death of the Daleks. Oh, the Dalek theme. Yeah, the Dalek theme and the beeps, boops and kazoos from the Silurians. And Roger Murray Leach continues his run on the show as designer, with George Galaccio continuing as production manager. The one new name in our core creative team was Prue Handley as Costumer, who makes her only contribution to Doctor Who. Her work could also be seen on Top of the Pops, Secret Army, and my personal favourite, Nightmare. Bryant decided against reusing the Cyberman costumes from the invasion, which he felt to look outdated. This allowed his team to make four new outfits, which were once again based on wetsuits, and the Cyberleader's head was predominantly painted black. Problems abounded during shooting, particularly during the location shoot, which took place in the Wookiee Hole Caves near Wells in Somerset. Inhabited by primitive humans since around 50,000 BC, in modern times the caverns had gained a reputation for being haunted by a Dark Ages witch, who, according to legend, was now petrified as one of the rock formations. While scouting out the complex, Bryant's wife Monique discovered several Iron Age arrowheads in the sand, which she kept as a memento. Some crew members would come to believe that this precipitated a chain of strange occurrences and bad luck which beset the production. These incidents included the alleged ghost sighting of an Irish spelunker, several production team members becoming unwell, the near drowning of Elizabeth Sladen, who was rescued by Terry Walsh, a technician's leg getting broken, and one team member basically forgetting how to do his job even though he had been doing it every day of his career. Bryant returned the arrowheads that had been taken by his wife, and these strange events suddenly ceased. So, maybe it was a haunting. The finished serial was broadcast between the 19th of April and the 10th of May 1975, with part 4 bringing season 12 to a slightly premature end. It was originally planned that one more serial would follow on from Revenge of the Cybermen, and this would be Terror of the Zygons, which was recorded as part of the show's 12th production block, but was consciously held over to season 13. 
For once, this wasn't planned way in advance, but the BBC made the decision for the show's 13th season to start slightly earlier in the autumn of 1975, rather than in the following January as it had been, in order to get a jump on a lavish new sci-fi show that ITV was about to put out called Space 1999. (laughs) (laughs) With that in mind, Terror of the Zygons would be held back for the early kickoff of the next season. One final note on Revenge of the Cybermen. In 1983, it became the very first Doctor Who serial to be released on videocassette. And no, I did not have it. (laughs) The BBC claimed that it had been the choice of attendees at the 20 Years of a Time Lord event at Longleat House that April. However, Revenge of the Cybermen was actually chosen by BBC Video to take the place of the fans' actual preference, the Tomb of the Cybermen, which at the time was missing. So I guess any old Cyberman serial will do, right? And on that note, it's time for our short summary, which is unfortunately in my hands this episode. So over to me. In the 731st draft of this script, our TARDIS team finally arrived back at Nerva, but in the past, where a mysterious plague, one that happens to be almost exactly like the one the second Doctor put out in the moon base, has taken hold of the crew. A shifty scientist acts shiftily, putting together a ridiculous plan to lure the Cyberman to the planet of gold with the promise of helping them to destroy it, in order to actually destroy them. Turns out that the race of aliens he's in cahoots with aren't even politically united, and to pad the story, there's a civil war between them. The endgame, the Cyberman have bombs that fail. The aliens have a rocket that they're going to shoot at Nerva, while the Cyberman plan to smash Nerva into Voga to destroy it. The Doctor stops it with some really, really bad model work. Good grief, this feels so over-fucking-written. <laughs> Please, guys, just just stop. <sighs> and I suppose we have to discuss this, right? Well, tell me how you really feel, though. <laughs> I don't know. My short summary would have just been a very long fart sound for about 30 seconds. <laughs> All right, part one. Yeah, part yep. one. Let's just, let's just go. So, yeah, silly space-floating thing. I forgot we left it at that. Good lord. And I still hate it. Yeah, it is still terrible. And they don't even end up back where they came from. They are thousands of years early. Right. Thanks a lot, Time Lords. Assholes. Yes, Time Lords being dicks again. And then poor Harry. Poor Harry, who is an idiot, wants to keep the time ring. You gotta love the time ring disappearing on him. And he is very sad. (laughs) I particularly love the Doctor's grin when it happens. God, I hate Harry. It's kind of like when a person has a ball and their dog wants to chase it and you fake throw it and the dog's all confused. It's kind of like that. I'm starting to like Harry in a really weird way because he's just a butt monkey and sometimes that's funny. Well, you're going to be blown away with what I'm about to say in a couple parts from now regarding Harry and Sarah Jane. Oh, boy. (sighs) Yeah, we're faced with the plague pretty, pretty quickly. No, no. We're faced with Auton rejects pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And we see the recycled sets and they've added extra cladding to the walls, which I don't like. I think it looks really terrible versus the sleek, shiny, sterile original Nerva. I think the walls are the least of this (laughs) serial's problems. (laughs) That. I'm nitpicking because I want to nitpick every element of this story. Oh, no, no, we don't have time for that. (laughs) What's really funny is there's one moment of music that I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. The slow march that's at the beginning, kind of military-esque, so you kind of get a feel for it. And then, dear God, it deteriorates from there. And how in the world I didn't realize it wasn't Dutters until 
part two? I have no idea. <laughs> well, Julie, if it makes you feel any better, this is the last time Carrie Blyton will work on Doctor Who. Oh, thank God. He had like one minute of my attention and then I was like, oh, no, no, never mind. That was a false alarm. <laughs> <laughs> this is also the story of reused actors. So as soon as we start meeting our crew, you've got Commander Stevenson, who's played by Ronald Lee Hunt, who we saw in The Seeds of Death. Lester was Mela in The Mind of Evil. It took me so long to figure that one out. And Warner, Alec Wallace, who played Warner, had been in The Sea Devils. And then on top of that, when we meet the Vogans, we have Michael Wisher, aka Davros, as Margaret. And of course, very noticeably, Kevin Stoney as Tyram. I will not forgive them for what they did to my boy. <laughs> but let's not go too far into talking about them because they're not in part one. No, and there's not much in part one because there is no tension. There's no mystery. As soon as Kelman appears on the screen within like two or three seconds, you're like, okay, there's our bad guy. But, you know, it is kind of handy that it's not drawn out. I mean, it really takes no time to establish who the asshole is. Like, literally no time. There is no time <laughs> to get invested in the story. <laughs> Jeremy Wilkin, who plays Kelman, he just looks shifty. Oh, and yeah. Oh. He plays an incredibly shifty character later in the very first episode of Blake 7. <laughs> and then I hate the Cybermat. Oh, they're giants. Sometimes. Not in every shot, mind you. Just sometimes. Awful. 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 These are more like cyber snakes than cyber mats. I even was like, what are these centipede things? What are they? And I was like, oh, they're trying to be cyber mats? Oh. Oh, I didn't quite connect that. Okay. Ugh, I'm God. sure we'll get to it later, but that's one of the ways this whole plot and scheme falls apart. Because there's no way nobody noticed that thing killing people. <laughs> It's the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> Come on, somebody saw something. No, it's a plague. It's a mysterious plague. <laughs> What's interesting is, you know, so many other stories try and act like the villain reveal is going to be a cliffhanger, even though they're called things like the Sontaran experiment. This one makes no effort whatsoever to hide that the Cybermen are going to be in it. They're mentioned, you get the Cybermats, and then there's even a very brief shot of them towards the end of the episode. I know Antony loves them. I hate this design. I hate the Beats by Mondas headphones they're wearing. <laughs> it pisses me off. It's the only way they can hear the accordions on their chest is with those headphones, though. <laughs> These ones to me, Don, I agree. I know you and I disagree on the Cybermen from the Invasion, but I think these are like a shit version of those ones. Everything about them, it seems like if you're going to bring a monster back, maybe care a bit. I don't like the design. They did nothing with the voice. Yeah. Just a little bit of modulation. Yeah, and sometimes they didn't even do that. And they don't act like Cybermen. Well, you're all upset about their design and their voice. I was upset that they didn't reintroduce them by having them frolic across a beam in space. <laughs> <laughs> to go from one ship to the other. That was really mm. disappointing to me. But they did keep having a stupid plan. Yes, so they are that is true. on brand there. I actually have a theory on this. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, we know Robert Holmes rewrote this pretty heavily. We also know Robert Holmes did not like returning monsters. And later on, the Doctor has that speech where he basically tells them they're kind of shit. <laughs> and I honestly think that's Robert Holmes speaking. I think Robert Holmes has made them deliberately awful in this. I think you're giving him too much credit. 
It's a good theory. See, there's also the problem where everything is terrible. Like, <laughs> to even leave the Cybermen, Cybermats, and all this for a second. They're trying to get in. The doctor creates a hole in a door. And he says, hey, by the way, <laughs> catch the door so I don't lose my arm. Yeah, completely fails. And then Harry gets called out on it. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Harry's terrible. <laughs> It did crack me up later when Stevenson and Lester are talking about it. And one of them says that the screws could have been loosened by a sonic vibrator. A vibrator, do you say? A sonic one at that. Hands free. I want to know where they thought of that and where I can get one. <laughs> <laughs> and our ratings just went up. I'm here to please. All right. Going back to this. Um, just... You go through this and there's so many weird scenes and things that should be interesting, things that aren't interesting. You get towards the end of the episode and I, are we good with that going to the end? Yeah, yes. that's fine. Yes. Hang on. Oh, hang no. on. I do <laughs> want to say, I think the doctor's fantastic in this. The way he shows up and he sweet talks Stevenson, he basically says, this isn't a plague. I think he is just delightful and he's really the only thing going for this entire serial and now we can get to the end it's his quips his quips are great throughout the who's the homicidal maniac hilariously delivered wonderful and the grin he says it all yes it's very well. good yeah. it's very we get to the end. sorry there is one good thing there is one good thing him playing the floor is lava no no <sighs> but that is nice I was talking about, I like the makeup they did after you get attacked by a cyber mat. That kind of like glowing, kind of, it really pops mm. on the screen. Mm. It looks good. But that's about I it. will give credit for that. Mm -hmm. That looked cool. But I, I enjoyed watching the doctor play The Floor is Lava. Yeah, that really spoke to my inner child because I definitely used to do that around my grandparents' <laughs> house. I also really like Kelman's radio setup, hidden in things like a brush. Mm. It was all very James Bond. Very fun. Yes. But because I want to just quickly get through this, of course, Sarah Jane is the one who gets attacked. It right. could have been Harry, but no. And she's just sitting around, lounging around, watching TV. So some documentary, it looked like. <laughs> Don't know why they had a documentary going. In all fairness, at least she wasn't immobilized for too long. We didn't lose her for an entire episode. It's because when I saw that coming, I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. We're not going to see her until episode four. Is she on vacation? <laughs> 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 but it's resolved basically within the first few scenes of part two Absolutely. which we should talk about yes part two julie they brought your favorite shiny balls back <sighs> shiny balls there are balls everywhere in this room. <laughs> at one point sarah jane even plays with the balls okay all right <laughs> all right bonk go to horny jail <laughs> uh, also because i keep hearing about all these rewrites and how sarah jane isn't helpful to the story i'm like so then we just make her get sick is this how we're going to make her a key part of the story is by incapacitating her i agree that it didn't have to be sarah it needed to be either sarah or harry and given how much of a torrid time sarah has had this season i do agree that it should have been harry but it is the mechanism to get them both down to voga where they are both doing stuff to be fair do you know how much of a badass it would have looked to see sarah jane carrying harry oh a power <laughs> move right there I'm not sure Elizabeth Sladen was strong enough to carry Ian Marta. I would have been fine with her just dragging him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the ankle. Oh my God. Keep going, Harry. Uh. <laughs> but at last, they are separated from the Doctor together. Oh. It's not Harry still with the Doctor. It's both of them. And this is where I wish this was going on all season. This bickering that goes on between them is so wonderful. It's something new for Doctor Who where 
you can see, especially when we get to part four, how much Sertain absolutely loathes him. <laughs> and it is wonderful. I was enjoying that so much. Oh, if we could have had that from the very beginning, I think this could have been really something. And we've had kind of playful bickering before. Think back to like Vicky and Stephen, or mm -hmm. even like to some extent, Jamie and Victoria. But this is another level. And I know a few weeks ago when we did the Abominable Snowman animation, Julie was complaining at the lack of dynamic in this particular TARDIS team. And I think this is where we finally see it, just as the season's coming to an end. It's a shame. A woman can only be called old girl so many times before she snaps. Absolutely, 100%. To be fair, he would have said it once and I would be like, uh, excuse me, no. And the second time it happened, I would have bitch slapped him in the face. <laughs> also, she she says that he has a voice like a foghorn. <laughs> that made me laugh. That is, outside of the makeup and the doctor's quips and Baker's performance, that back and forth was the thing that carried me through this serial. I really thoroughly enjoyed that. I began to check out as soon as they mentioned a weakness to gold. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is. Ooh. That's something new. And that they were trying to blow this place up, even though it's clearly not the only place you can get gold. Also, as someone who has watched New Who, I was like, I don't think gold has anything to do with anything. So I feel like this is possibly just a, a one shot where they tried and then it's just going to be retconned. No, they're going to have a thing against gold for the rest of Classic Who. Uh, we've gone so far. We haven't even talked about the Voga people. Vogons? Vogans, oh. yes. I didn't know, but apparently big eyelids are in right now in Classic Who. <laughs> also, it feels like somewhat Asian influence in there. It did seem kind of racist yes. when they first popped up on the screen. Okay, I wasn't the only one who thought that. The other interesting thing is anyone who's already seen Classic Who or has picked up on it, even in some of the Moffat era of New Who, the symbol some of them wear, that gets later retconned as being the seal of Rassilon oh, and is used by I the Time Lords. That. So lots of questions around why they happen to be wearing the seal of Rassilon when the reality is someone in the production team liked it and <laughs> just got reused later. They were all just big Doctor Who fans. I would say I'd go back and watch it, but I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> you know, Anthony, you mentioned that they ended up finding themselves having a little bit more budget. Could they have yep. used that to get a little bit more square footage for the world's smallest shootout? Because that was, oh my goodness, that was painful. I personally would have used that budget to pay off Jerry Davis and have someone else write a completely <laughs> different script. But... It also seemed very stereotypical. You've got political divide and you've got what was he? Was he some sort of like security type? Per I don't know exactly what his role was, but it seemed very stereotype of, OK, now he wants to rule the planet. And somehow he has a whole bunch of lackeys who are on his side. And I don't know how he was able to get them. Was he like a military leader or I think military? so. Something okay. to that effect. So he was trying to military coup. It, it seemed like we'd seen it before. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I feel like this is a culture that they want us to feel like is well fleshed out, and it's not in any way, shape, or form. And I just don't care about them, to be honest. <laughs> I don't care if the Cybermen wipe them out. I don't <laughs> care about their internal struggles. I'm just not given I can, enough. I can say that about this entire serial. 
there was nothing here to engage you. Your oh, who's the bad guy? Okay, it's that guy. Oh, it's Cybermen. Oh, it's giant robots. Oh God, just get it over with. Honestly, I wish I could have had more time with the commander and Lester because I feel like I could have liked them if I spent more time with them. Yeah. Might just be me. But we also have Harry saying that Sarah has thick ankles. So yet again... He's such a charmer, isn't he? The gloves are coming off. Hey now, I'll have you know there are parts of England where cankles are quite revered. (laughs) (laughs) I might have just made that up. Yeah, I think so. But the one thing that I like about it, they get out of the chains, but then they're also caught in this firefight and everything. So then Harry and Sarah Jane are both damsels in distress. And I can appreciate that. It's been the first time that they've both been damsels in distress since Robot. It's established that the Vogans made the chains that they tie Harry and Sarah up in out of gold, which made me assume maybe all of their metal usage was gold. But given that the bullets don't seem to stop the Cybermen, (laughs) the bullets are clearly not made of gold. That was my biggest pet peeve was the fact that the Vogans know that the Cybermen, gold is their weakness. So why the hell are they not utilizing that and taking advantage of that? Jesus. Yeah, they have the biggest weakness to the Cybermen there, and yet they can't stop them. (laughs) And it was even implied that the reason that, and I realize I'm skipping ahead here, but the reason that the Doctor and co. are being sent down into the depths of the planet to blow up the bombs to destroy the planet is because the Cybermen can't go there because of all the gold, and yet they still come down. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's finish part two. Okay, so they arrive and on the beacon and quickly take it, shoot the doctor with the head guns. The head guns are cool. I like the head guns. I'll give you that. I'll give you the head guns. And the beacon is ours. <laughs> Yay, cliffhanger. <sighs> jelly babies. Yes. Part three, yes, plus one to the jelly baby count at last. I thought that was kind of funny. Kelman going through the doctor's pockets, finding jelly babies and apple core and who knows what else. And he's clearly just thinking, who the hell is this guy? (laughs) This is one of the few good scenes in the serial is where the doctor is tied up and being sort of interrogated by the Cybermen. A lot of good quips here. And one thing that really stood out to me about it is that the way he acts in this scene it reminds me a lot of Tenet, and I can't help but Tenet got a lot of influence out of this because there's a lot of through-the-teeth acting in that scene, <laughs> and that's just something that Tenet does a lot, and I could see that, and just so many other mannerisms are so clear there, and it was quite enjoyable. What's really funny, I know we already touched upon it, but it was at this point that I noted that Harry and Sarah Jane are not one of the power couples, or even just good friends like the other companions. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Active hatred. Active hatred. But Riley, just going back to your tenant influence, particularly that line where the doctor says, you've no home planet, no influence, nothing. You're just a bunch of pathetic tin soldiers skulking about the galaxy in an ancient spaceship. I could 100% hear that line in Tennant's voice. Absolutely. That's also one of the problems with the serial, though. The doctor doesn't take them seriously as a threat. At all. In any way. <laughs> so why should the audience? And that's why I think this is satire on the part of Holmes, because he's very deliberately made them that way and made the Doctor not care. This is like he can solve this one with both hands tied behind his back. It may be, but that doesn't make for good television. Oh, I agree with you. It doesn't. You feel like you're just treading water waiting for the next serial to start. 
My other favorite trope that we got was the bad guy feeding the doctor more and more information. It's like, stop telling the doctor things. This is just going to end poorly for you. Yeah, these Cybermen are idiots. Well, it's kind of like you were saying, Anthony, it reminds me of the Daleks, the B team (laughs) showing up. The show, I feel like maybe the idea is that we depended too much on these creatures before we are trying to move past them and by doing really bad serials with them no one's going to want them back again yeah exactly and but as don said like well that's great but that doesn't make good television for the viewer there's other ways you can destroy a creature this isn't even the b team cybermen this is like the f team cybermen there's only like five of them right i think there are four of them in total There's four, like, only ever on screen, but there's a couple of times when they talk about, like, there's more of them. So Mm. I think there's more than the four, but we only ever see four because they only had four suits. Yeah. They could have done a bit more trickery with that, I think. Yeah, I only noticed it because they made one specific reference to there was four of them in the room. And then one of them said, our recon person who went down, I was like, oh, another one. Also. These Cybermen, they're a little bit emotional for supposedly emotionless creatures. They're super emotional. <laughs> I mean, the Cyber Leader strangles the Doctor in a fit of pique. But in a very <laughs> weird way. To, like it. Mm. Oh, you mean the shoulder rub of death? <laughs> yeah, what was that? <sighs> it's like what you do to like a child when you like actually are very angry. But you're like, I can't harm a child, but I will shake you a lot. <laughs> that's not legal in this state, Riley. Just oh, so that's you- true. <laughs> that's true do not report me and this whole plan of carry these three bombs oh. down to the middle of, <laughs> okay. of asteroid all right pause for a moment there is some dialogue where they describe these as being super compact and effective <laughs> number one those are bombs you see in old cartoons they're huge and also later on spoiler one of them blows up Kind of. I guess you would call that an explosion. There was no earth-shaking kaboom. There was just, here's a little (laughs) bit of fire, and it's a... Knocks out the three people closest to it. Everything else is fine. Right. One thing, and I don't know if I'm skipping ahead, because I honestly don't know where in the episode we are, but... (laughs) It doesn't really matter, to be honest. I had been very hopeful that you got that point where there was a firefight going on, and then Sarah Jane was going to go back to what she thought was going to be warn the doctor. And I was like, oh, maybe Sarah Jane will actually have something to do. And then she even gets up onto the spaceship. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe she'll have something to do. Lo and behold, she doesn't have anything to do. So I was very hopeful for part of part three and then some of part four and then got very sad. Yeah. And I also said at this point, oh God, the music, why don't we have debtors? I actually had a note in here that simply says, Oof, heavy synth. Julie will not be happy. (laughs) Here it is. It's this moment right now. The Doctor and co. all get sent down with bombs to navigate their way to the center of the asteroid. And Kelman and Harry go spelunking together. Oh. I feel pretty awful for Harry's poor clothes. (laughs) Also, that scene where Sered goes in that little motorboat, that's the scene where she nearly drowned. Oh. Yeah, something went wrong with the boat. And Stuart fell, stuntman, one of the Cybermen jumped in and rescued her. Otherwise, she almost certainly would have drowned. Anyway, there's a cave-in, Kelman gets killed, and then Harry sees the Doctor unconscious and goes to unlock the harness for the bomb, which will detonate it. And that's our cliffhanger and into part four. Wasn't the cave-in actually caused by Harry? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Because that does set up the intro scene. Yes, that's why the first thing that the doctor does is yell, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. (laughs) And I have a note that says, Julie will be happy. It's so clear that that line was written for the audience, right? I mean, it had to have been. Oh, absolutely. I basically said, (laughs) thank you, doctor, for saying it out loud. Yes, you're telling the audience that I understand that this man is an idiot. And the doctor just can't believe it. And he laughs at how stupid Harry is immediately after he yells, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. And you know, I'm not trying to convince you guys that it is a good serial, but... (laughs) That's good because you're doing a terrible job. Oh, I'm... Yeah. (laughs) That's a good bit. That is an enjoyable... There are some enjoyable bits. I will say one of the things that I certainly enjoyed, and it's something that I have been saying for a very long time, if you're going to have a long drawn out shootout and i've been asking for this since the unit days if you're going to do that have a long shootout let it be on an alien planet between cybermen and ben franklin impersonators okay (laughs) that's all i was been asking when i went through all those unit shootouts and i was finally sitting here and saying yes (laughs) i got what i wanted crazy looking aliens shooting up with cybermen on an alien planet. And I'm so sorry. Speaking of fights with Cybermen, I actually really enjoyed the way the Doctor and Harry, their attack on the Cybermen was shot. It reminded me of the Exelon attack on the Daleks in Death of the Daleks. Lots and lots of close-ups in the action. It kind of gives it this very chaotic feel to the fight, which I think is something that Bryant is pretty good at. He uses lots of angles and stuff that other directors at the time in Doctor Who were not using. I like the direction. The choreography could have been a little bit better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then this is where we get Lester sacrificing himself to destroy the two Cybermen by detonating his incredibly weak-ass bomb. And he's able to do it like that. Harry was jiggling that thing around and still couldn't do it. Well, Harry Sullivan is an that imbecile. That is true. Kanan so, blew up things right. And it's at this point where I get upset because when Sarah Jane was first on the beacon, I thought what was going to happen was that she overheard the Cybermen saying that they're so far down that they couldn't really track who had the bombs and everything, that she would go down and let them know that. But no, we just leave Sarah Jane on the beacon and then oh she gets captured because she cannot keep her mouth shut and screams out so i'm very upset that this then becomes sarah jane becoming the damsel in distress and is only used to get the doctor to go up there and she even outs kelman as a double agent yes what happened to genesis of the daleks where sarah and harry are begging the doctor not to tell davros about all the daleks failures so he can program them to avoid them like this does not feel like the same character I am still upset by how Sarah Jane has been done dirty ever since the third Doctor left. I think that's fair. Me too. All right, Cybermen, plan B. They're just going to fill Nerva with bombs and smash it into Voga. Why didn't they do that before? (laughs) That seems like it would have been easier. Probably because it doesn't have as good a chance of succeeding. I mean, there are lots of whys in this, and I'm reaching (laughs) to try and figure out and be charitable here. There's a lot of whose plan is more insane. Because you've got one of the alien penis-headed guys convincing our (laughs) double agents, hey, go meet up with the Cybermen, (laughs) and assuming they don't kill you, you gotta get in league with them. And they give him a plan where you need to go to this base and kill everyone but four people, (laughs) specifically four, no backups, but make them think it's a plague. 
we're going to give you this Volkswagen that will kill them. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> I feel you, Don. Yeah. We've gone so far into this serial, and we haven't even like discussed the actual plan, betrayal, <laughs> civil strife on Voga because at all. We're just matter. we just skip it. Yeah, we just skip it. Uh, no one gives a shit. Yeah. That's the problem. This serial is so asinine. No one cares. I mean, the Cybermen <laughs> show up and they're defeated, and that's all that really matters. And are they even really Cybermen? I mean, they don't act like Cybermen. There's no threats to convert anyone. It didn't need to be the Cybermen. I think back to when we talked about what makes a good Dalek serial, and that's giving the Daleks something to do that only the Daleks can do. This could be any race of creatures that happen to have an allergy to gold. It doesn't need to be the Cybermen. But you know what was also awesome? Seeing a Cyberman walking around with his hands on his hips. Like, one sassy uh, Cyberman right there. Plus one to the camp count, I think. <laughs> so the doctor gets up to the beacon. He's trying to sort all of this out. And it doesn't seem like it goes very well, does it? Nope, this is where we get the shoulder rub. <laughs> of death. When the cyber leader captures the doctor and Sarah. And they're going to leave them on Nerva as it smashes into Voga, which seems a bit like an emotional revenge type thing on just being a pain in the ass. He's being snarky even as he leaves them there. These are not Cybermen. No, and he's like, you'll get a front row seat. You're getting a gift from us. <laughs> it's very James Bond. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the slow laser. So naturally, the Doctor and Sarah get out. They rocket gets readjusted to destroy the cyber ship, and then the doctor has to get out a crank lever <laughs> oh. to save the day. You mean the gyro controls? I mean, sorry, the gyro controls? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that gets another plus one to the camp count. They're not that tasty, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. And Sarah proclaiming they're heading for the biggest bang in history. A oh, my God. Oh. There are so many little things you can take extremely dirty out of context in this. And then the terrible, terrible model work. It's so bad. The revolving chocolate log. <laughs> and we didn't really talk about way earlier when the Cybermen docked. Yeah, that wasn't great either. Yeah. By the time we got to the end, I could not care about the model work. <laughs> like, is it over? Are we done here? Come on. I think a perfect representation of how you're feeling is when we get to the very end and the doctor explains that they're going to uh, have to go back, an emergency that has to be dealt with, and the look on Sarah Jane's face is like, oh, no, I'm just tired. I've been through the ringer this season. I don't want to have to go through another emergency, another tense situation. It's also funny because Harry's like, shouldn't we wait for the commander and say, I'm like, they just left the commander with no crew. Poor commander. <laughs> Harry is the Jerry from Rick and Morty of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that. I see that. But yeah, the ending feels very rushed to me. The Doctor saves the day, TARDIS shows up, Harry beams up, and literally, we've been summoned back to Earth by the Brigadier. End of story. And now you have to wait till next season for the resolution of that. Yeah, but what's kind of nice about it, though, is it kind of wraps up that story, because it's been, what, three serials? Like, that are four. four. Oh, yeah. Really? If you include the arc in space, it's been one continuous storyline since Robot. And the next story does carry on from this. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> never mind. That's why the next serial should have been the end of this season. I think it's the end of the Nerva Beacon. Yeah, it, yeah this story. is the end of Nerva Beacon, but getting back to Earth and where they started in Robot is the next story. 
That brings us to the end of this. Before we rate it, one question. Julie, how many women other than Sarah Jane were in this? Uh, None. Do you want to tell us how you feel about that? For the fact that there were going to be two women and then they said, "Ah, no, we're going to get rid of them. Rather upset. And I know that Dawn hates counts, but I did my own count and there were three old girls and one old chap. (laughs) So with that, let's go ahead and rate this. And I have the dubious privilege of going first on this one. And I think we've all made it pretty clear. This is pretty goddamn terrible. The Cybermen don't need to be in this. It could be any race of aliens with an aversion to gold, as I said. The plot, eh, this feels like it's either a first draft or a 17th draft. (laughs) Certainly not something that has been written an appropriate amount and written well. And it feels to me like this is probably a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. That being said, there are things I like. Tom Baker is wonderful in this. I thought the caves, we didn't really talk about the caves. I thought they were wonderfully atmospheric. There are elements of Michael E. Bryant's directing that I really, really enjoy. So I can't quite bring myself to make this as bad as something like The Monster of Peladon, because this was only four parts and there were a few saving graces to it. So I think for me, this is going to get three and a half out of ten cybermats that are the size of Volkswagens. Nice. (laughs) Don, you're up next. I think, Andy, you summed it up really, really well. When you said it feels like a first draft or one that's been touched by so many writers that nobody knows what parts are theirs anymore or if it makes any sense. The Cybermen don't feel like Cybermen. The various plans don't make any sense. And aside from a few good quips by the doctor, it's just not entertaining. Nothing really gels together. I was never invested in the story. Because they just give everything away right up front. So at that point, you're just counting time. I'm going to give this one three Wookiee holes out of ten. <laughs> Sorry, Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Julie. It's very clear. I am not super thrilled with this serial. I continue to be disheartened by what has been done to Sarah Jane. I can't stand Harry. And I think the story is just very weak. I could have been interested in the Nerva crew, but we didn't get enough time with them. They didn't even try to make the Vogons very interesting. So I couldn't get involved with them. So it's just a very, I'm just here because I have to be here and there's no one that I can root for type of deal. So I am going to give it two and a half Harry the Imbeciles out of (laughs) ten. And Julie, before I hand over to Riley, I do want to add the cast they had playing the Vogons. I mean, they squandered Michael Wisher, Kevin Stoney, Tobias Vaughn and Marvik Chen himself. And then David Collings, who we haven't seen before, but he goes on to be a pretty good actor in a lot of different things, including Sapphire and Steel. He comes back in one of my favorite Doctor Who stories of all time. He is just fantastic. And all three of them are so atrociously wasted in this. And I'm going to get off my soapbox and hand over to (laughs) Riley. Okay, well, this is not exactly a rousing return of the Cybermen. I think that's pretty clear. (laughs) Sarah Jane is not completely removed from this serial like previous ones, but of course that has to happen at the very last serial of the season. Baker is smashing it. The story, as Julie said, is weak, but it has a crisp pace. So if you can't be good, be quick. 
And as much as Don absolutely loves the new look for these Cybermen, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help but feel just meh about the whole thing. So I'm going to give it four operational discharges out of ten. <laughs> and that gives us an average between the four of us of 3.25, which makes it our lowest scored serial since the Space Pirates. Oh, nasty company there. Yeah. Even the monster of Peladon scored better. Not good. That brings us to the end. A few of us will be back next time with a bonus episode discussing the Big Finish Lost Adventure Return of the Cybermen, which is based off of an earlier draft of this script, and hopefully it will be better. We haven't listened to it at the time we're recording this, but we'll see. Tune in to see what we thought of that. And then our next regular episode, we will be doing our season 12 retrospective. So I'm back in two weeks for that. But in the meantime, as always, thank you so very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our company. And in the meantime, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Shoulder Rub of Death, was recorded on Wednesday the 12th of October 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at @watchers4d, and you can also email us at watchers4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcast. App. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, when you're watching season 12, just skip this one. Seriously, you'll be doing yourself a favor.